I wonder how long you have to live in Northland to be considered a Northlander. I don't know. My wife and I, we've been living here seven years, and I'm not sure if that's quite long enough. Some of you, hopefully, um, we've got some fellow Aucklanders in the building who are still waiting to be considered Northlanders. Another 10 years. Thanks, Jeff. I'll write that in my diary. Beautiful. Well, seven years ago, my wife and I moved up from Christchurch. I'd been studying down there. I was raised in Auckland, but we moved up here from Christchurch in 2011. And I don't know if you remember, but in, in 2010, 9 and 10, in Christchurch, there were some significant earthquakes. And, um, and so we moved up maybe six months or so after the major earthquake. And uh, we moved up to Whangarei. And uh, it, we don't have earthquakes up here, which is a total blessing. But uh, I remember at the time, there was a big outcry around why certain houses were allowed to be built in Christchurch. You see, Christchurch is significant portions of eastern Christchurch is built on reclaimed land. In fact, there's a whole suburb called Marshlands, and it's, it's, it's as unstable as the name suggests. And there was a big outcry about it. In fact, my parents-in-law, a few years before the earthquake, they bought a property in Christchurch. And as they were going through the limb report, they uh, read a little line that says, not subject to liquefaction. And they thought, oh, don't know what that is. Sounds good. Moved on with the report, bought the house. But it turns out that one little line that nobody knew what it meant before the earthquakes was the thing that decided whether the house would stand or whether, whether it would be red zoned. And uh, so, so Sarah and I were living in that property, and I remember afterwards thinking, making a couple of observations around human behavior around Christchurch. You see, because I'd like to share with you this morning around what is solid enough to build your life on. Because what I noticed around Christchurch is that when it comes to financial decisions, people are generally very optimistic. They think to themselves, the best case scenario situation is the one that's going to happen. So when there's a, a section across town that's going really cheap, human behavior looks at the purchase price thinks, oh, she'll be right, there won't be an earthquake, pockets 30 grand, buys a new barbecue and gets on with living in the home, right? Which is fine until there's an earthquake. And so in our own lives, the, the truth about just how strong our foundations are in life can be a little hard to swallow, perhaps a little too personal, difficult to hear. Secondly, at the time, there was a whole lot of personal stress that seemed to come to the fore in people's lives. And one of the things that uh, people commented on at the time was that we simply, as humans, do not expect the ground to move. We expect the ground to be solid, immovable, unshakable. And when it shifts underneath whatever you've built, we find that, that idea deeply distressing. And so for, for us this morning, as we look at the Word of God, I understand that, that it might be a, a challenging topic to look at. 
but it's a question that we need to ask ourselves because in retrospect, what your home is built on actually does make a difference. Using the metaphor, what's written on the limb report, one day will have an effect. The Bible talks a lot about things in our life that are truly solid to build on and the kinds of things that claim to be solid when the earthquake comes, we find really are not solid. So let me ask you this morning, what kinds of things are you tempted to build your life around? Perhaps for you, financial security is that goal that you're aiming towards. And you've kind of, uh, without realizing it, geared your life to becoming more and more financially secure. Perhaps in your mind, there's a position, a particular position at work that, that you've kind of been gearing your career towards. Maybe there's a purchase you'd like to make, a, a new boat or a, or a home or a new car. Perhaps some of, you, some of us, the thought of a really nice holiday is what's been driving us forward in life this year. Let me encourage you this morning, if any of those situations sound true to you, God will be speaking into your life and into those ideas and challenging you to question the kinds of things that you've built your life upon. You know, King Solomon wrote the whole book of Ecclesiastes on this very question. What is strong enough to build our life upon? Is there something that we can have in this life that is solid enough to remain secure in the storms of life? How is it that we do not, uh, how, how is it that we don't build our lives on foggy foundations? This is what it says in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 1, and I'm reading from the message version. Smoke, nothing but smoke. That's what the quester says. There's nothing to anything. It's all smoke. Now, this might seem like a bit of a downer. And, and I'm sorry if that seems like that way, but, but it'll get better, I promise you. It'll all make sense soon. A couple more examples in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 1. It says, I said to myself, that is Solomon speaking, let's go for it. Experiment with pleasure. Have a good time. But there was nothing to it. Nothing but Smoke. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 verse 10 says this, The one who loves money is never satisfied with money, nor the one who loves wealth with big profits. More smoke. The word smoke is translated uh, this way in the message translation because of a visual image that occurs in the Hebrew text. You see, the, the Hebrew word for that word, uh, the Hebrew expression for that word smoke in the message is the word hevel. It's sometimes translated as empty, temporary, meaningless, or futile. However, the reason why I've chosen this word, uh, the, the, the message translation as smoke, is because it's a, it's a picture in your mind. And smoke on its own is neither negative nor positive. It's just something that you observe. It's like mist or fog. It's sometimes positive and sometimes negative. And it's the same way in the Hebrew text, the word hevel, that is translated either as meaningless or, or temporary. That word hevel is neither negative nor positive. It's both or neither. You see, smoke is this mental image. You can smell it. You can taste it. You can see it, you can experience it, but the second you try and grab it, 
you find that it's poof, gone. Just like a mist. Just like a fog. The reason I, I, I love this word hevel so much is because it can be negative and positive. Let me give you an example. A negative example is a man goes out one night and has a bit much to drink. The alcohol starts flowing through his bloodstream and he starts to laugh and dance and carry on and have a good time. And at the time, it's a positive experience. But come the morning, he's only left with a hangover and a diminished memory of exactly what happened. The experience is gone. It's, it's never coming back. It's a smoke that has, poof, disappeared. A, a positive example could be this. A surfer is out enjoying creation. And he's sitting on his board and looking up at the beautiful mountains and the trees that are on the shore. And a perfect wave comes rolling in. And he paddles for it and he gets on his board and glides down the beautiful face of the wave. And as he kind of drops in on this wave, he gets a rush of adrenaline followed by a sense of peace that all is right with the world. But eventually that wave crashes, right? And once that wave crashes, it's never coming back. And, and so in the same way, it's hevel. It's temporary. It's gone. Never to return leaving you only with a memory that, dimin- that fades over time of exactly what it was like to catch that beautiful wave. It's, it's not that catching a wave was negative. It's just that it's not solid. It's, it's not worth building your life upon because it's just going to, poof, fade, gone. You see, the message is not that these things are either good or bad, but that they're just not to be built on. If you try and make these things foundational in your life, you'll find yourself building your home on a foggy foundation. And so this raises the question, the number one question, that actually, if you read Ecclesiastes, is not satisfactorily answered. What then is solid enough to build your home on? What is is trustworthy? Maybe it's, Maybe a a little more personal way of asking the question is, is what my life is built on real and solid or temporary and foggy? The high school I went to uh, had a very strong focus on academic performance. It was a strict school where bad behavior was not tolerated. And believe me, I experienced the full weight of that attitude. You see, behind the teaching A dangerous message was consistently emphasized. It was a message that if you have good academic performance, that'll lead to a good university entrance. It'll lead to a well-paid job, which will in fact lead to promotion in your job, which will lead to excellent retirement savings, which leads to a stress-free end of life. Now, none of those things are bad things. They're just not worth building your home upon. They're not solid enough to take the foundation of your home when the, when the storms of life come. Jesus talked to this very issue in Matthew chapter 7. He says this, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house upon the rock. The rain came down. 
The streams rose, the wind blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who builds his house upon the sand. The rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against their house and it fell with a great crash. What's the difference between the wise and the foolish builder? The only difference is that one hears the words of Jesus and puts them into practice. The other one just simply hears them. You see, if it was me telling the story, um, I would tell it something like this. Therefore, everyone who attends church and hears the word of God and worships corporately together is like a wise man. But the foolish man is one who stays home and has refuses to have anything to do with God. You see, I, I would tell the story like that, but that's not how Jesus tells the story. Jesus tells the story as both men are sitting in church on a Sunday. One of them walks out and does what Scripture commands him to do, and the other one walks out and simply has lunch. Jesus was telling us that the foundation we can trust to build our lives upon is a foundation of relationship with our Almighty Father. But that relationship has two components, a component of love and a component of obedience. And let me tell you this morning, church, you cannot have one without the other. When I was in year 13, I had a choice whether to take film studies or maths with calculus. Now, I don't, I don't have to tell you which one I wanted you to take and which one my father wanted me to take. I have to say, because in my home we both had a relationship of love and obedience, I'm proud to say that I took maths with calculus. And let me tell you, I actually have to say this. That is probably the most useful subject that I have ever taken in my whole life. And I'm happy to tell you more about that afterwards, but you're probably not interested. <laughs> there was an expectation of obedience in our home that characterized our relationship. Now, the message of this parable is that when we take seriously the call of God upon our lives and put his words into action... We build our lives on a sturdy foundation. The flip side of the parable is that it's clearly possible to hear all the right things, to be in all the right places, to be found at all the right Christian meetings, but not be putting his words into action. In the light of Ecclesiastes, you could say that both the wise man and the foolish man built their homes on a foundation. One was just strong enough to hold, and the other one was nothing but fog. So what do you do in life? Like me, when you found yourself in a situation where you suspect that your foundation is a little bit foggy, not strong enough, when the challenges of life are coming and you're wondering if your foundation of life is strong enough to stand. I've got three ideas that I'd like to share with you this morning. Firstly, is to consider your true priorities. One of the most challenging exercises I can think of is to write down your values. Pull out a bit of paper, maybe when you get home today, and to write down the values you hold in life. That might be uh, generosity, might be values of spending time with family, time with God, sharing Christ, serving on a Sunday. Write them down. 
and then pull out your bank statements and ask yourself the question, if somebody else who didn't know, didn't, did not know me were to look at my bank statements, what would they think my priorities really are? The truth is we all go through life with different priorities. But the call of God in this parable is to make sure that the priorities that you hope to have, the priorities that you think you have, you actually do have. First Timothy chapter 6 says this, talking about people wealthy. Command them to be good, to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and to be willing to share. In this way, they will lay up for themselves that they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. The point here is that as we shape our priorities around God's heart for how we are to live, we start to find ourselves that we are starting to build our lives on a firm foundation. In, In my life, personally, this was made clear at the start of the year. And I'm not even really sure if I should share this to you guys, but I'm just going to do it anyway. But uh, share it. Thanks, Jeff. But um, when Sarah uh, first went on maternity leave, we had our little boy, Joel, who's now two. Uh, our income dropped. And we, Sarah and I, we've always had as a uh, foundational value in our lives, giving tithing to our local church, fund the, fund the ministry. And so we would set aside a sum of money in keeping with our income to do that every week. And so when Sarah went on maternity leave, our income dropped significantly. And so uh, we set aside a different sum of money. It would go out through automatic payment. And uh, however, when Sarah went back to work, because it was done through automatic payment, it just slipped my mind. It would just go out automatically. And it was not the correct sum that we would normally put a value on assigning to the value of the ministry of the church. And until somebody challenged me to keep a diary of everything I gave away, I was complaining one day that I give and God never blesses our situation in in more holy terms than that. (laughs) And less blunt than that. But that's what the complaint was. And so this person said to me, okay, write down everything that you give and write down everything that the Lord blesses you with. And I found that a mistake had been made. What I'm trying to communicate is that it's possible to think you have a certain value, but actually not have that value. That your true priorities are not necessarily what you think they are. Our real values are communicated by how we choose to spend our time, our money, and our resources. Let's be people who, can, who actively consider our priorities and make any changes that the Lord needs, leads us to make. Second practical thing that you can do is this, to read scripture and just give it a go. It's very simple. It's kind of the main thing of the parable. It's just to read a scripture, whatever it commands you to do, you just do it. James chapter 1 verse 25 says this, whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, But doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. As a pastor, I come into contact with all kinds of people. People who know a little bit about God, people who know a lot. 
people who know a little bit about scriptures and people who know a lot. The more contact I come in with people on issues of faith, the more I'm convinced that this is true. Your growth is not so much about what you know about God, but whether you apply what you do know. It's not so much about what you know, it's about what you do with what you know. I was raised in a church where Bible knowledge was considered very important. Now, I still believe that knowing Scripture is vital to our faith, but I've seen people with great Bible knowledge walk away from Jesus. Everyone else, who some people at the time wrote off as being too messy, not talented enough, not charismatic enough, go on to have a major impact for the kingdom of Christ. The issue is not so much what you know, it's what you do with what that knowledge. Finally, the final practical thing that I believe will help build a firm foundation in Christ is this, is to build godly habits. You know, when the earthquake struck Christchurch, there was an outpouring of community spirit during a time of huge need for people. Most people had a number of days off work. The schools were closed for at least two weeks. The damage was, and while the damage was being assessed, we were being encouraged. Actually, I think the prime minister at the time encouraged Christchurch to get around your neighbors. Our mayor at the time said the same thing. Look out for your neighbors. You see, it's only in a time of need when you realize the importance of the habits that you've been building. We all know that we should have people in our lives to encourage us in the faith where we in turn encourage others. But it's only when the storms of life hit do we truly understand just how valuable a small group really is. When it comes to building our lives on something solid, we are wise to put into practice the godly habits described for us in Scripture. Habits like meeting together in a small group in our homes. Habits like spending quiet time alone with God where we can talk honestly to Him about how things are really going. Habits like setting time aside to serve others and to make a difference in our giftings. Habits like time spent in corporate worship together as a wider church. These are the habits that you might be tempted to think are are the extras. What's left over, the nice-to-haves. However, these are the habits that when the storm hits, you realize just how important they really are. Let me encourage you in your life to build godly habits so that when the storm hits you, you stand on a firm foundation. As we finish this morning, I want to conclude with a quote from Hudson Taylor, one of my heroes, one of the the greats of the Christian faith in the last 200 years. Hudson Taylor was a man who felt the call of God to go to China. His life work involved building an organization which had over 800 missionaries in his lifetime, started over 125 schools in China. A truly great man. He said this, All of God's giants have been weak men who did great things for God because they reckoned on God being with them. I'd like to add, followed the call of God on their life as they read in Scripture. Imagine the impact we could have 
if everybody in this room committed to walk, work out the very next thing that God shows them in Scripture, no matter how challenging, costly, or expensive. Imagine the relationships that could be healed as we commit to forgiveness, no matter how painful it might be to go there. Young people, imagine what impact you could have on your community as you take seriously the call of God from First Timothy to not let people look down on your youth, but set an example for all believers. Older folk, imagine the impact you could have on the next generation as you take seriously what Joel said when he said that old people would dream dreams and inspire the next generation with vision. Come on, church, imagine what kind of impact we could have as a faith community as we commit to the painful and sacrificial obedience to the Word of God and we see Him move through our lives. Let's not have sandy and foggy foundations built on whatever we'd like to do. Let's be people who commit to obedience to the Word of God and to practically work, walking it out this week. As we close, I'd just like to speak briefly to somebody here, maybe you're here for the first time, maybe you've been coming uh, for quite a while and you know that you haven't yet experienced what it's like to have a relationship with God. Let me tell you that no matter what storms come your way, no matter how strong the wind is that beats against the house, if your home is built on the foundation of Jesus Christ, it will stand. And maybe you're here this morning and you're thinking to yourself, you know what it's like to have the storms of life tear at your home. And maybe you're here this morning because you're starting to wonder if the foundation that you have previously built your life on is strong enough. You know what it means when I talk about the storms of life coming. Let me encourage you. God loves you and he wants to lead you, through the, lead you into a relationship with him. The Bible teaches us clearly that if we confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and we believe in Him, we will be saved. So if that's you this morning, we're all going to bow our heads and close our eyes. Would you pray this prayer with me? You're saying to yourself, I know what it's like to experience the storms of life. And I want to have a relationship with God that can lead me through those storms. Would you pray this prayer in your heart? Dear Jesus, I know I've messed up, but today I choose to give you my life. I hold nothing back. Thank you that you died to cover my sin. And you rose again to give me hope and a new life. Thank you that you found me. Thank you for your grace. With every head bowed and eye closed. If that was you this morning, we'd love to get alongside you and give you a Bible. Maybe talk to you about next steps. Would you pop your hand up nice and high? I'd love to connect with you. And Is there anyone here this morning? God, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the authority of the word of God that tells us what we need to do and who we need to be. 
Holy Spirit, I just pray for a godly courage to come upon all of us right now, that we might read something in Scripture and walk it out and work it out this week, no matter how costly or expensive it might seem, so that we might build our lives more firmly on a foundation of obedience to you and you might lead us into the next season of life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Awesome. I love that. Read scripture. Give it a go. Come on. That's, that's, that, that, that could preach your life right there, I reckon. <laughs> hey, why don't you grab your Connect card right now? And um, you know, There's been some big challenges set for us uh, this morning as we receive our tithes and offerings. What is your next step? Maybe your next step is, is getting into a group of people that uh, maybe will know a little bit more about your story, get alongside and encourage you. Maybe it's time to join a small group. You know, maybe, maybe it's time to, to get involved, use the gift that God's given you, be a part of our dream team and uh, sign up and maybe take the next step through growth track. Uh, you know, what is it that God's asking you to do? Because as we commit to doing life together, not in isolation, but together, we have the ability to impact our community. Yeah, we're coming up to an amazing time of the year where Christmas box is going to make a difference in, in homes all around our city. People that we might even know. We don't know who the police are going to select. We don't know the families that are going to be chosen. We trust them. We're working in partnership with them that they know the right people to bless this year. But maybe, just maybe, we're going to have a connection. We're going to have a, have a part to play and just help him bring hope and life. So I want to just, just say thank you. Thank you for being faithful. Thank you for being faithful to God, honoring Him with your time, with your resource, with your finances, being obedient to Him. Yeah, come on, let's read our scripture and give it a go. So let me pray a blessing on you as you give this morning. Father, we thank you. Thank you for all that you've given us. Thank you that we are, we are so rich. We are so wealthy, Lord. And the greatest wealth we have is you. We have your presence. Thank you for the opportunity we have to love and bless and serve other people. Lord, I pray that everything that is given Lord, you would bless each person. May they have all that they need and more. Lord, as they set their priorities and their focus on you, Lord, would you lead and guide each one of us to be wise stewards with what you've given us. But Lord, we thank you for your blessing, your favor on all of us. In Jesus' name, amen.